0: Welcome to Healing for the Soul podcast, with this being season number four, episode number 54. I'm your host, Robin Stoltman, and today I have my guest on the show, John Moore, who is a shamanic healer, a certified hypnotherapist like myself, who has a master's in MBA and info and security, and he's on the show talking about parenting and shamanism, something I know nothing about, so I'm excited. So before we get started... Remember, every week I feature different guests to help you become the best version of yourself through different methods you may not have heard of or thought of. So let's get started. Thank you, John, for being here.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate out. it. Yeah.
0: So what is your specialty and who do you like to work with? Because I have no clue, like I said, about <laughs> shamanism. I've heard of it.
1: Uh, when, I, when I started out in shamanism, um, nearly 100% of my clients came to me with trauma. And shamanism is really good at dealing with trauma because you know shamans have been around for tens of thousands of years, and there wasn't talk therapy or medication or any anything for most of human history, and so they had to come up with ways for dealing with trauma. That was pri- my you know the primary reason people came to me, and I do love working with people who have trauma. Currently, because we're in the midst of the pandemic, the number one reason people come to me. They just describe it as this feeling of disconnection, disconnection with themselves, with the world. You know, people are ice, feeling isolated, and I work with them on that basis. Um, the, the thing I really love doing is teaching, and so I have, you know, I teach classes and I have uh, students that I mentor and that sort of thing. So, I mean, I just like everybody, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that that's always helpful. Yeah, yeah it really is. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, and then, like I mentioned a little bit um, before the show, too, I'm like, well, you already got one up on me for, like, the business part, because I'm like, it. Th- I, I swear that background may have helped, but, well, may have helped me, but I'm like, you know that that background, and I'm like, I don't really know, but, like, the shamanism, where does that, like, stem in from, from, like, the tech background to, okay, now we're a shaman.
1: Like, it's It's a weird transition, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, like, what got you interested in that? yeah and it's switching
1: yeah so my 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 main teacher actually came out of a plastics background she was a like worked in the plastics industry so a lot of people who are very in very left-brained world right wind up coming into shamanism for a number of reasons um normally it happens as a result of some sort of personal crisis right and that's Mm -hmm. traditional indigenous cultures it's it's also in modern shamanism. So for me, I ran into a health crisis, and um, you know was trying to get through it with you know medication, seeing doctors, and all kinds of stuff, and also taking care of my body and doing meditation, taking care of my mind. And one day, I was meditating, and I heard this really loud male voice that sounded like it was outside my head say, "You need to go learn shamanism." I had no idea what shamanism was. I had no idea how I was going to find somebody to teach me shamanism. I live in Maine. I don't live in Peru or, you know, Mongolia. So I used this amazing shamanic tool called Google. And I looked up you know, shamanic teachers near me. And it turns out that Maine has a really um, thriving shamanic community with some really amazing teachers here. And I found my teacher and, and um, went into it from a personal healing perspective had no inkling whatsoever to ever work with another human being and the universe had other plans for me. And it turns out, this is really what I love doing. Like it, it, you know, it makes me feel alive. It makes me feel happy when I see people getting better, when I see people, you know, light bulbs going off on their head, when they connect with their, their purpose and their truth that, you know, to me, uh, tells me that I'm in the right spot. I'm in exactly where I should be.
0: I love that. you like, just described myself. <laughs> like how I feel. Right,
1: it's a common, wherever you wind up, that seems to be a pretty common uh, yeah. common path. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm not a shaman, like I said, but I, I got everything else for, I'm well, not everything else, but I got a lot of other things in the background. And I'm just like, it's what lights that fire. It's like, you can keep yeah. going all day long.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You, tirelessly. You can just, I don't even want to stop. You know, I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to, you know, (laughs) I do have to make myself, you know, brush my teeth and eat and go go to bed at regular hours. But yeah, I get it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, especially like when you got kids, because that was like the biggest thing that I'm just like, okay, I want to be here. And then um, my mom said the other day, she's like, well, you just like having babies and then having somebody else take care of them so you can go to work. And I'm like, well, that's what most people do. They have babies and then they go to work me, I actually get to stay and play with my kids mm-hmm. more than most people get to, because I am doing my own business. So that's one of the things that I wanted to ask too, is like, how do you do all of this work? we'll, we'll talk more about your work as well, but yeah. how do you do that while having children yourself? I mean like yours are older, yeah. mine are all little.
1: I've got, I have, uh, I have twins first of all. So having twins, um, if you, have, if you know anybody who's had twins, or if you've had twins, um, that's like shock therapy, right? When they first come home, you don't sleep for like a year, um, like at all. I remember going through a phase of my life where I, I went to work after not sleeping for about four days and just hallucinating at work, um, from the lack of sleep and, um, so yeah, I mean, every everything is a balance, and my children are a little bit older, so they're you know they're in school most of most of the day, and they have uh, one of them has a boyfriend now. One of you know they're they're starting to drive. They have so they have other other interests, but I do like it's really really important to me to spend really good quality time with them, and I I work uh, currently you know, during the pandemic, I started just seeing people remotely. And uh, so I'm at home all the time. And when my girls, during the beginning of the pandemic, their school went remote, um, I got to have lunch with them every single day. I got to make, make their breakfast, have lunch with them every single day, have dinner together at the table. And I wouldn't have had that freedom necessarily if I was in some other, you know, career where they forced me into an office or something like that. So it's been, um, it, it actually balances pretty well. And, you know, I get into a groove and uh, I find, you know, I find that my heart, my heart leads me, my heart leads me to spend time with my kids and time with my clients and time with my students. So
0: that's nice. Cause that's like, I'm, I'm still like at the young age, like I said, all my kids are and uh, yeah, it's one of those days. I'm like, I'm hope to God that what I'm doing now will pay off by the time they're a, yeah. a little older where they can start doing more. Cause um, that, that's one of my things. I'm like, I'm learning from other people who have had businesses, you know, like when the kids were little and then, or like when they're older and I'm like, I hope it gets easier. <laughs> that's the only thing that I'm like, please God, let it get easier.
1: It, it, it So if I can, <laughs> just from yeah. my experience, it gets easier. It does get easier. There are different problems when they get older. But they don't need as much, um, you know. They can, you know, my kids can make themselves mac and cheese, right? You know, they can. True,
0: <laughs> mine can.
1: That when they were little, I had to do everything: tie their shoes, and get them dressed, and bathe them, and all that stuff. And well, I miss those, you know, like little kid days. They're, they were so adorable. I mean, they're beautiful girls, but they were so adorable as little kids. But I, you know, I do appreciate every stage of life that they go through. And the the milestones that they've hit and they're just growing up to be just wonderful kids. And I just, I couldn't love being a parent any more than I do.
0: Yeah, I agree that what I agree with you on that one for the parenting part. I'm like, I love it a lot. It's just that I'm at that point. Some days I'm just like, I hope this is working. I hope it's working.
1: <laughs> We're all amateurs, right? I, I describe yes. as an amateur parent. You know, I'm not. You know, it's uh, who you know, there's different challenges I've never dealt with every single day, and that's just how parenting works, and that's how it's worked for all of humanity. Um, and if you love your kids and you take good care of them, yeah, you're They're gonna be, they're gonna be great. They're gonna turn out fine. Well,
0: I got, I got um four boys, and then finally God was like, "We'll give you one girl." I'm like, "Thank you, Jesus."
1: Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> And then
0: I'm outnumbered with all that testosterone.
1: I had a, a I have a friend who has a twin boys that are the same age as the girls and the, the difference. I, I mean, I don't want to stereotype too much, but the difference in the amount of energy they had when they were little was crazy. And I was like, Oh wow. I'm so, I'm so happy for girls.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. There's a big difference in the energy. I mean, like, yeah. just like, I'm mean, like, when I just think of like when my boys, were the same age as my daughter, which is 14 months, and I think about them when they're 14 months. I was they, they would constantly get themselves up on the table and not and just uh. fall down just for fun, like the one that's all he would do. And I'm like, this is like
1: with your heart attack. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> I'm like I swear my kids are going to end up causing a heart attack because I worry about them all the time. Then, then my girl. I'm like, you're just so cute. Did do <laughs> anything
1: wrong? <laughs> Yeah, I did have a climber. One of my girls was a climber. She climbed everything. I walked in one day and she was climbing up the on the banister on the outside of the stairs, and she was about twenty feet up in the air. And I was uh, freaked out a little bit, but um, but yeah, you know, they they can they can panic you a little bit.
0: Yeah, they definitely can. So, um, how does the like? When did you start doing the shamanism? Was it when they were like before they were teens?
1: Yeah, so they were. Uh, they were in their, uh, I would say, older than five and younger than nine. I have a hard time with time. Time kind of like, time's this weird thing. When you work a lot shamanically, like time gets kind of loosey-goosey. And it's funny because I ran into my teacher one time after not seeing her for quite a while. And I ran into her at this retreat center. And I was like, oh, how long has it been? She's like, time doesn't exist. And just walked off and just left me with that to like ponder that. Um, yeah, they were little, they were, they were little kids when I, when I started out and, um, it was cool. I mean, they, they do, uh, they do get, they're not, you know, they're not necessarily following my path, but they understand what I do and they understand that I work with people and that I help people and, you know, they talk about it to their, their friends and their friends, parents and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of nice. We do, we do share, uh, you know, we do always share our day and that sort of thing. So it's very nice.
0: Yeah, that, that sounds really nice because I'm just like thinking of, like all these different scenarios when I get older because I'm like, I swear my one boy, he's going to be telling all the girls to sleep because <laughs> that's what he, I mean, like, because they're little, like I said. So the one always says that I'm sleeping. That's what I do for work because I sleep. And I'm, uh-huh. like, that's not what I do, but that's okay.
1: Right. <laughs> and
0: then the other one's trying to mimic me going sleep, sleep. And I'm like, okay, we're, we're going to get somewhere with these kids. <laughs> Um, so where does like, what is like the shaman do? Like, how is it different than like the hypnotherapy that you do? And I don't know, um, are there any other modalities that you use within that shamanic healing?
1: Um, I mean, shamanism is my main practice and, you know, obviously lots of my life experiences play into what I do. Um, being a teacher helps me being a coach helps me communicate with people as well as, I mean you understand that hypnotherapy is a lot about really good communication and deep listening yes. and, and that sort of thing. So while I'm not necessarily like you know putting people into trance and hypnotizing them, those skills absolutely come into play. So the difference maybe between hypnotherapy a little bit and and uh what I do is I'm the one that goes into trance, right? So the the shamanic practitioner um you know the main thing we do is called the shamanic journey and that we enter into an altered state. And the idea is that we're, we're traveling in the spirit world to look for sort of like lost power or to heal the energy body or that, or that sort of thing. And unlike, um, you know, Reiki or acupuncture, which work mo- primarily on the energy body. And this is not, this is just to draw a difference. This isn't to say one is better than the other. Cause I would never, I'm I also, you know, have a Reiki certification that i don't really use but um shamanism just comes at it from a different angle and we work on what's what we refer to as the soul body primarily we do some energy body work um but we also work with uh looking at people's ancestors and looking at um you know and that is really really important we inherit a lot of stuff from our ancestors right not just our not just our eye color and our hair color, but we can inherit trauma from our ancestors and that sort of thing. So there's lots of different ways um, that we can work. Uh, but we always, when we're, when we're working with somebody, there's a talking part. And then there's a part where we go into trance. And I use a drum primarily to do that. Some people think that um, all shamans take drugs like um, ayahuasca or peyote or psilocybin. Um, I don't, and the people who practice sort of in my school of thought don't. That's more in an indigenous practice. So people in, you know, the Brazil, the Amazon basin, for example, might use ayahuasca, which is a psychoactive uh, bunch of plants, actually, and you know, people in the Southwest, Native Americans in the Southwest, might use peyote, which is a type of cactus that has psychoactive properties. But um, interesting, yeah. So for modern practice, uh, we don't. I use a, a drum. And I have a, there's a very specific rhythm, and interestingly, very recently they did uh, they did a, a research where they hooked up like 500 shamanic practitioners to EEG equipment and had them drum and go into trance, and it's a very unique brain state that they go into, but it's close to what people are in when they are on psilocybin, which is magic mushrooms, uh, but it's different because. Yeah. I can stop anytime I want. If you take magic mushrooms, you're, you've bought the ticket. You're on the ride. Like you're not, there's no stepping off. You can't end it. It's, there's no, uh, as far as I know, there's no antidote. You're going to have, you're going to be for however long, I don't know how long psilocybin lasts in your body, but, um, you know, I, I know ayahuasca can be like a three hour to six hour trip. And if it's a scary experience or something's going on, there's no getting out of it. Where sort of like hypnotherapy, right? If somebody is having an ab reaction, you can either work with that, or you can bring them out of the trance state. Yes, uh,
0: or the brain will do it. Or the I've brain had that experience. Yeah, the people have had that experience once.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that could, you know, that can happen. It's just too much for somebody to handle, and they'll pop out of that state. Um, where I'm the one doing the, tra- I'm inducing the trance, and I'm the one in the trance. I have uh, pretty much full control over what's going on during that time. So. Um and and you know, I like that. I don't like giving up control um to you know to a plant medicine or that sort of thing. And it's not to take anything away from these indigenous cultures because they're doing what they've done for thousands of years. And I think that's that's great. I, I, I support that. I just wouldn't I don't know enough about it to to partake or you know, it scares me a little bit. I think it's scared. That of would scare memory. me.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That would scare me myself. Just like thinking about it. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do that. But um, how does that work then? Like, cause I'm glad that you said about like for the trauma part of it, especially like for the ancestral trauma, mm-hmm. because like I know how did you pass life therapy? So yeah. is that like similar to like past life therapy? Almost like when you're doing the shamanism.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean,
0: like you said, it's you. I was just like trying to understand it.
1: Yeah. So ultimately, we're connected, right? Like everybody's connected. We all have the same divine spark within us. We all come from the same source. And um, so, underneath it all, we're all the same. So when I when I work, when I when I do work on behalf of somebody else, they receive the benefit of that. Um, it's also beneficial to me when I do that work. It's fantastic. I love doing that. But yeah, it's very similar to, to past life healing. Um, and sometimes people—I uh, don't know if you've ever run into this—but sometimes people are their own ancestors, right? They they get um, they get oh. in their own ancestral line, right? So yep. you know, you go back ten generations or something, and oh, you were your tenth great grandfather or whatever. Sometimes that can happen because we're trying to work out some traumatic thing that happened ten lives back or or whatever. So um, yeah, it's very. Very similar to that, we work with, um, you know, all all shamanic cultures and all shamanic practitioners work with. Um, we call helping spirits. So these might be what some people think of as animal totems or spirit animals are one type. The, in my school, we call them power animals. Um, it's just a different terminology for for what that is. And so we work with these. Um, we work with these spirits that have crossed over, that lived on Earth but crossed over. And so they have a different perspective of what's going on. They can look at things sort of like if you were playing baseball and you were standing Mm -hmm. on the pitcher's mound, you can throw the ball, but the person up in the stands can see everything that's going on, right? Okay. So I'm I'm the pitcher. I'm throwing the ball, but I'm relying on a person with, you know, I'll say person, but frequently it's an animal um, that has a much better view of everything that's going on than I have. to to perform this healing. And so, um, so we, we sort of travel in the spirit world, we work with these helping spirits. And we, you know, there's different types of healing, like with trauma, with individual trauma, there's something called soul retrieval, which is, you know, like a part of us has kind of broken off and stayed behind. And we try to return that I know there's similar processes in hypnotherapy when you're doing like parts therapy or, um, you know, you're you're trying to integrate things that are disparate, Um, you know, where shamans have been doing this for tens of thousands of years. It's it I, I really it fascinates me that there is different terminology in modern psychology and hypnotherapy and shamanism, but they're really talking about the same thing. If you look at it, if you look at it close, close enough they're really talking about the same thing, but using different language for it.
0: Yeah. I've noticed that too, like for the different languages, Mm -hmm. I'm like, it's all is, it's all different. Like they give different terminologies, like what you said, but it's like, it's all like the same.
1: Yeah. Not not
0: all of it. But I mean, like a lot of it is because talk therapy, in my opinion, is a lot more different than hypnotherapy. It's not as like the more like problem-based where hypnotherapy is more like solution-based, like what can we do instead? That's just been my experience though. Um, So like one of the things that I'm curious about was like the trauma, because I swear that like, I'm thinking about like my own self on this is that I know that like the generational trauma Mm -hmm. is real. Like even the Bible says it. And that's why I like to try to tell people, I'm like, well, even the generational trauma back to the Bible, let's go back there. Yep. It states that generational trauma, generational curses is real. Yeah. But then and it's it, like, it still shows up today.
1: Yeah. Well, they, they knew back then they didn't have. So now mm-hmm. we have modern science and we can say, hey, look, you know, when we look at the epigenetics of the grandchild of a Holocaust survivor, we can tell that there's trauma two, you know, two, three, seven generations yes. back. Right. So. Our ancient ancestors knew this stuff intuitively. They knew it. They got it from spirit. They got it from God. They, you know, they they didn't have the modern science to back up what they were saying. But again, you're absolutely right. It's like they're saying the same thing, but using slightly different language to talk about it. Where we talk about generational curse or generational trauma, we can actually see that. We can see it in in animal studies. We can see it in human beings. I think it's I think we've been able with modern science to be able to detect trauma seven generations back, something like that. And and probably, you know, as it gets more sensitive, they could go even further back than that, you know, because they can look at, um, you know, Irish people whose ancestors survived the potato famine. So that goes even farther back, right? And mm-hmm. who knows, maybe even people whose ancestors survived the black plague in Europe or something along those lines. We can go back and look at how trauma actually affected the gene expression in people. And that that's really fascinating to me. I'm kind of scientifically minded, which makes it a little weird that I work in spirituality, but not necessarily so weird.
0: I was going to say, it's not necessarily weird though, because it's like, that's the part that's the fascinating part because it's like science is, science is very, very slow. They are so far behind that people think, Oh, that this is new. And it's like, no actually you guys are far so far behind you it's not even funny like science can't even catch up to the human mind and like how we know things like it's right. just
1: right. trying to explain that for, for me when when people mm-hmm. talk about, when people talk about miracles right so miracles is something we talk about in spirituality a lot and we think of sort of like supernatural events and those are miracles right like a, a miraculous yeah. thing or a miraculous but the fact that I can sit here, and airwaves can come into my ears and, and my consciousness turns that into the experience of having a conversation with you. To me, that's a miracle. Our consciousness, the fact that we are conscious and aware and, and our, our reality, our whole experience of our reality is constructed inside this consciousness. We don't think about it cause we live in it. No. <laughs> it's like, it's like everyday experience to us. Like, it's like if you, uh, I don't know if you live in if you live in Florida, you don't think it's hot during the summer because you're used to the heat where I live in Maine. And if I, I went down to Florida once in August and I practically melted because I'm not used to that. But we live in our consciousness. So we don't look at it as a miracle. But I do. I think, you know, wow, I can have, you know, some electronic device, make some wavy air in my ears and I can and I can have the experience of listening to a symphony. Or I can have the experience of seeing you through my computer screen and I have the experience of having, you know, being in the same room with you and having a conversation and my experience with you as a human being. And that's, to me, when I think about that, that's really amazing. It is. That's true. Because there are, you know, there are creatures out there. They're like, um, you know. Uh, one celled organisms. And, and I think intelligence is actually everywhere and consciousness is everywhere, but there are creatures out there with no brains and they move around and stuff. But we have this, like, we have this amazing capacity. We have this organ. And I, I personally don't think consciousness is, comes from the brain. I think the brain is a receiver of consciousness.
0: Yeah. Um, The brain, I think is like the last thing I think it's like the stomach, the heart, and then the brain.
1: Yeah. And if you think about how to, how to, chemical electrical impulses going back bef- between synapses give us the subjective experience of reality. Like, I, I can't fathom that. And that's something that, you know, I don't know what if science will ever be able to figure that out. But so far, no, that is a big problem for science. Consciousness is a huge problem for science. And when we observe things, we can test this in a lab. When we observe things, it changes them. So how do yes. particles, how do electrons know that we're observing them, right? Because we are co-creating our reality. Um, all of our reality is subjective. And, and to me, that is the, the huge miracle that we almost always overlook. Anyway, I went down a big rabbit hole there, I apologize. Oh,
0: no, no, that's <laughs> fine. Cause this is a lot, like I've been just like, it, it's a lot to take in for anybody. But it's also fascinating at the same time, because a lot of it, like with the science, they just discovered now that, um, like something simple, like our jaw muscles, that there's actually three of them.
1: Right, right.
0: And it's like, you had this data from like the 1800s, I think it was, that it came from. And it's like, oh, now you guys decide in 2021, it was, that now we do have three muscles in our jaw. It's like. And I've got books from 1985 that talk about how we don't need medication to heal. We don't need all of this stuff. And you need to focus on being happy and mindfulness and meditation and all this. And I'm like, that's from 1985. But in in 2021, in 2020, in 2022, it's like all of a sudden like it came back. And it's like, I'm trying to understand like the reasoning of like, where did people lose this?
1: Yeah. I don't know. It, it seems to, it seems to be somewhat cyclical. And I remember in the early nineties, I went to a lecture at, uh, that was at the Dana Farber cancer center in Boston, a big, you know, big famous cancer center. And there was a guy named um, Dr. Yang, who uh, I don't know what he was a doctor of. I don't think he was, I don't know if he's a medical doctor or not, but he's a, a Chinese Kung Fu guy and he was doing Qigong, which is like Tai Chi. And he was doing that with cancer patients to alleviate symptoms of chemo and that sort of thing. And they were finding these fantastic results from that. And nowadays, when I go into my doctor's office and I, I go to a doctor once in a while, I, not that often, but um, had a concussion not that long ago that I had to get Those checked out. Those are not fun. No, not fun at all. Don't I don't recommend that. Um, had to get a neurological exam for make sure my brain wasn't leaking out my ear. And, um, you know, I go to this big doctor's office, that's part of a hospital group. And the vast majority of the young doctors who are residents there are studying integrative medicine. So they're studying the combination of medicine and mind, they're studying mind, body stuff and yoga. And I hooked one guy up with a naturopathic doctor I know. And, um, you know, the, they're, you know, they're accepting. And in my shamanic training, I've been through years and years of shamanic training, training, I've had um, numerous doctors uh, in in the programs that I'm in. So there, you know, medicine. Some people in medicine do, in fact, embrace shamanism and other and other forms of healing that aren't strictly uh, give you a pill or you know cut a part of you out, um, which have been the two predominant schools of thought in medicine for. Yeah. Decades. Yeah. Yeah. For a very long time. So, um, you know, we're not that, we're not that far past the point of when they were using leeches and bleeding. People. Um, and it turns out there are some medical benefits to leeches when they reattach <laughs> fingers and stuff It, the enzymes get the blood flowing, but, um, but you know, they would bleed people who had the flu cause get the bad blood out and stuff like that. We're not that far away from that, to be honest but we've been doing spiritual healing for thousands of years. So, you know, let's, let's listen to everybody. Let's talk to everybody. Let's figure out how to get this stuff together. That's my take on it.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Cause it's better to be solution-based rather than problem-based. Yeah. Cause that's like one of the things that I'm noticing is a lot more powerful. Like even in doing my own healing, like, especially with the trauma, one of the things I've been thinking very heavily on that a lot of people don't realize is like, um, my grandpa, for example, he is 87. He's the only 87-year-old that I actually know that has his own business, still doing his own business. Every single day, I swear up and down that if he wasn't out in his gun and pawn shop, he would be dead. Like If he missed one day, I swear to God, he would be dead because that's how much it means to him. But when he was growing up, he grew up, during the, he was born during the Great Depression.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
0: like when he was growing up, he saw the Great Depression a lot of people don't think about this is that this where the money issues i believe come from for a lot of people Mm -hmm. not just myself but it's like they're carrying around the great depression trauma but being unaware that that's where it come from and then shortly after the great depression then you got to add world war ii that was going on Mm -hmm. and then the psychiatric drugs were introduced of those are supposed to be better prior to that they're using hypnosis Right. They were using eft they were using natural methods they didn't get that data without um having to have six million plus jews die they didn't get that information until then yeah and then um i was thinking about that and then i thought well then there's a japanese internment camps that happened in the us mm-hmm. and there's like all these little things you know not all little things but like there are big major things that happened and then even before the great depression hit there was the spanish flu that right. happened and I'm like, that's a lot of trauma that my generation is carrying. Yeah. But they're totally unaware of it. And they're blaming this and this and this. And it's like, no, stop and think. You're, you're going back generations. Well, it's only like two generations in my case of, yeah. of the trauma that's been carried.
1: My um, So my grandmother is still alive. Me? She's 105. So she was born, she was two when the Spanish flu hit and she was a teenager during World War I and her husband went away in World War II. Uh, My grandfather and his brother was killed in the Philippines in World War II. So they have like sitting down and talking to her is amazing Mm -hmm. to have somebody alive who's been alive that long. And my great mother, I knew four of my great grandparents and they all lived into their nineties. And I talked to my great grandmother's born in the 1800s when I was a kid. It was amazing to me she was born in like 1890 or something like that and i'm just wow like i can't even imagine like you know i have experienced three you know the spreading across of three different centuries right from from my mm-hmm. great grandparents to my children you know <laughs> my family i've known people that have existed in three different centuries and that that's a pretty cool thing for me to think about but yeah that is. My grandfather's ancestors came over during the potato famines. So they obviously were escaping death and poverty and starvation. And that was a pretty big deal. And then when the Irish, I don't know if, you know, people know the history, but when the Irish got to America during that time, um, they were treated very poorly. They were treated, uh, you know, we had waves of immigrants that would come in. So first the Irish came in and they were treated very poorly and then they kind of integrated and then the Italians came in and they were treated very poorly and, um, uh, so there is a lot of generational trauma that takes place over the years. And, uh, a lot of it depends on your background and where you where your uh, where your ancestry comes from. But everybody's, everybody has ancestral trauma because you could not live in this world and be descended from somebody who hasn't experienced some sort of major, uh, events. Maybe if you lived in a, you know, a tribe that's been isolated, there are only a few of those left. <laughs> um for, forever and you've never experienced any major catastrophes. Um, you know, there's maybe, maybe little ancestral trauma there, but I can't imagine anybody not having gone through some level of ancestral trauma.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking, especially like when I like I said, when I read the Bible, I'm like, we're there's ancestral trauma all over there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like for the generational trauma, like I said. And then you add different things to it. And that's one of the things that I've been really understanding and that's why I said I think a lot of people they forget about that and then it's like they they blame the current things that are in their reality and me I'm like but stop and think about the things that your grandparents experienced you know so then I'm thinking I know that you can heal it using hypnosis are you able to heal that then as well on the shamanic through the, the shamanism work so that Because one of the things that I was told is like, when you heal, this is why healing is very important to me, is that when I'm doing the healing, because my ancestors chose not to, because they didn't know or they just chose not to, then that's caring to me. Mm -hmm. And then when the trauma ran into me, it's like, oh, crap, (laughs) we're screwed because we're not going to have anymore. Like, that's who I am. I'm like, nope, I'm done with this crap. My family had their crap. They can keep their crap. I'm getting rid of it. I don't want it no more. So then I'm thinking that I'm doing the healing. So my kids no longer have to deal with it.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. kind of like how it works? Yeah. A hundred percent. That is exactly how it works. When you heal yourself, you heal the world. Um, absolutely. And, you know, I knew one of, one of the driving forces for me, because shamanism is not an easy path. It can, it, it pulls up your stuff and shows it to you. And some of that stuff is not pretty. Um, and I almost didn't make it. I almost didn't make it through my first day of my apprenticeship. I almost quit after that. Um, but I didn't, and I was lucky I stuck through it. And one of the driving forces for me to continue on this path was I need to stop the trauma and not pass this to my children. I need to heal myself because I am putting two human beings into this world and I want them to be beacons of light and not, you know, not pass this dark. The other way we look at it, because time kind of breaks down in the spirit world, time talk about physics, time is intimately linked to matter, Um, you know, and that's Einstein stuff, right? And so when we get into the spirit world, there's no matter anymore. It's just spiritual reality. And so you can actually go back and heal your ancestors and that healing will come down. And that's what we're, that's what we're doing. Very similar in, in hypnosis where we can heal an ancestor and the healing can get past down the line we'll find a spot where there was trauma we'll do some healing work there pass that down make sure the person has healing as well and yeah we can we can cut that off we can we can heal that trauma at a very deep level as the same with um hypnotherapy where you can really really go deep with somebody and get into that um get into that beautiful healing that everybody has the capability to do and i don't like to look at it that i'm doing the healing so i'm working with i'm working with my helpers my my teachers and my helping spirits and i'm creating spiritual conditions under which a person heals right it's sort of like if i break my arm and i go to the doctor and they put a cast on my arm it's not the cast that's healing my arm the cast is creating the conditions for my bone to be able to heal itself which is exactly what happens so i'm creating spiritual conditions for which somebody can heal themselves. I'm always about empowering people, yes. my clients. You have the power to heal. I'm going to help you. I'm going to set up conditions for you. I'm going to give you the biggest advantage I possibly can so that mm-hmm. you you can do this healing that you are fully capable of. And I, I believe that wholeheartedly. And that I love that. I love that about this this work.
0: That's the beautiful part. That's why I'm like, that's what lights me up. That's why I was trying to explain to somebody earlier, like what hypnosis is for me is like, when people come in, it's like, I see them as already healed. Like I see the end result with them already, but it's like, some of them come in miserable. And Mm -hmm. then like, even by like the third session, they're like, they feel so much better. And so like, for me, it's like trying to explain to people, I'm like, it's like having a new baby every time, like on my end, because that's how much joy it brings.
1: Right. And that's like
0: the only thing that I have compared that I can compare to that I've experienced that much joy in my life. And it's not saying that they're a baby, but it's just like, it's just like, that feeling like that joy of like, yes, they're finally getting it. They're finally understanding how to help themselves.
1: Right. And, and you know, people come to you, I'm sure, feeling like they have no resources. Yes. Right? And, and it's like, you have the resources. Part of what, what you're pulling doing out. Like, pulling out those resources. Look, look how awesome you are. Look how amazing you yes. are. And I, yeah, absolutely. So I think we're, I think we're on the same, <laughs> we're on the same plane for that. Like that's why I love doing this work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause I,
0: cause I it, know like I was told to see a shaman myself, like for the trauma part. And I'm like, that's what I was like trying to understand is like when you do that shamanic healing, for
1: mm-hmm. example,
0: I know that mine is tied to, to my grandpa. I, like he's, he's obviously still alive. Cause I just said he is, but I mean, like I swear, his issues, he never let go of them. So then they travel to my mom and then mm-hmm. they travel to me. And like there's a generational curse too. I mapped it out the one day, right. it scared my crap out of my mom about just the firstborns. The first living sons in the family get taken or they die. And if they don't die or get taken, then it gets passed on to the first, the next first living child. Well, I was the first, next living child. With my mom and my mom i told her about how all my relatives look at them i'm like look there's someone that's got this curse that, that happened like this contract that was made and i was just like that's on my grandma's side and the other one with the money's on my grandpa's side because my mom picked up her stuff or his stuff for her and then passed it to me and i'm like where do you think this stuff comes from like, when you <laughs> actually stop and think about it i'm like i know where the two issues come from But I'm like, I'm determined to stop it because it's like, I don't want my kids going through the same crap that I've gone through. I just don't. So with that shamanism, can you work specifically, like in my case, on just those two issues? Or does it like treat it as a whole in areas that I may not see?
1: Yeah, so um, I uh, so the interesting thing about working shamanically is I have very little control over the healing that's done. So sometimes when I get in there, Uh it's like, um, oh, you know, somebody's come to me for this issue, but honestly, if they don't address this other thing first, we can't even start looking at that thing. So for example, a lot of people come, everybody's got trauma. um, So Mm -hmm. I think everybody could stand to have shamanic soul retrieval. It's a beautiful thing. It makes people feel really good and it reintegrates you. And I've seen some dramatic, I've had people- come to me and say, I feel dead inside and I can't feel any emotion. And get up off, you know, when I was working with people in person, get up off the table with a smile on their face and say, I feel joy for the first time I can remember. And that's not me doing it. That's, that's you know, my helpers and this person's spirit reintegrating itself. And, and you know, that soul part coming back and, and lifting that person up and saying, hey, you actually are whole, you're, you're complete. Yeah. So, but sometimes there's other, sometimes people have, um, very frequently in my experience, people have these, uh, what we call intrusions. And this is just like energy stuff that comes in. It's like when we walk around and people are angry or people shout at us, or even we're just like, you know, so my big example is I walk through Walmart, right? And there's a lot of Mm -hmm. unhappy people, at least in my Walmart, a lot of unhappy people in there. And if I don't protect myself, I walk out of there and I'm feeling crappy, right? Because I pick it up up too. It sticks to you like mud on your shoes, and you got to scrape that off. Well, you know, a lot of people don't Mm -hmm. know to do that. So, very frequently, I'll have to do what's called an extraction, which is to remove those, uh, you know, that crappy energy. And that will clear the pathway for the next piece of work that we're doing, which might, you know, probably be a soul retrieval or an ancestral healing or something else. So sometimes people will come to me for a very specific purpose. They're like, I want soul retrieval. I read about soul retrieval. I want soul retrieval. I'm like, that's great. And maybe that will happen. But I always do diagnostic work in the beginning. And I only ever do ceremonies that my helpers tell me are going to benefit you today. Because you might feel like you need a soul retrieval. And you probably do if you feel that way. But you might not be ready for it yet. There might be something else that has to happen first you know, even within the session might do a little piece of work first and then do something else. So, yeah, I mean, we'll work on specific issues. Absolutely. But sometimes it's not, sometimes the the cause there may be more than one cause, or it might not be exactly what people think it is, or there may be some other work that has to happen before that healing can take place. So um, I never know till, till I get in there and start looking around and see so, what's well,
0: that that's very helpful. Cause like I said, that's one of the things I'm like, would that be helpful or not to be able to really know? Because it's um, for me, it's like, I know like the two issues. I'm like, I just want to break like those curses and I'm just like, okay, I'm doing the work on myself in hopes that my children don't carry that down. Yeah. Cause I'm really, there's a couple of people I've talked with about like the epigenetics, like you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, so that's like, if I understand epigenetics correctly, that's like the scientific um, community that's now understanding what we already know, which is like generational stuff gets passed down.
1: Right. Right. So epigenetics are how your genes express themselves. So you have your genes, right? Your Mm -hmm. DNA. And there are some changes that happen and how they express themselves. Like we, something like, I don't know, I'm, I'm pulling this number out of the, out of thin air. So may not be totally accurate, but something like 97% of our DNA is considered quote unquote junk DNA because we don't know what it does, but we know the other parts. We know the other parts of that and how that part expresses itself. We can look at using scientific techniques that I don't understand. Um, but we can detect those changes and that's how our genetics. So I might have, uh, you recessive genes and these kind of, you know, other kinds of genes, I might have genes that make me predisposed to diabetes, for example, type one mm-hmm. diabetes or something like that. And I might still might not get diabetes or I might not get certain kinds of cancer that I have, uh, you know, DNA for it. That is that's epigenetics. That's how your genes are expressing themselves. So if I don't get the, okay, that diabetes. makes sense. So, but I have that, but I have those genes. And the, you know, scientists using methods I don't understand can look at that and can detect trauma generations back and how that, and how that, um, how your genes express themselves. And an interesting thing about the quote unquote junk DNA. So this is a computer nerd thing. Um, so they, you know, we've coded the whole human genome. We have, you know, all the characters of the human genome. If we take the junk DNA, what they call the non-coding DNA, and we run it through a statistical analysis. And there are statistical analysis programs that linguists run to look at characters and stuff to see if they're languages. It codes as human language. The statistically, statistically, our junk DNA is mathematically the same thing. We, We don't know what it says, but it is mathematically the same as all human languages. I can't explain that. Nobody can explain that. But it's one of those okay. things that's to me completely mind blowing. So, uh, so like
0: English, so like it's not just like English mm-hmm. or like French. It's like all of them.
1: If you took every language, if you take every human mm-hmm. language there is, and and you run it through this uh, program that does statistical analysis on like the frequency and patterns of letters and that sort of thing, you can say, yeah, that's a language, right? We can't necessarily read it, but we know it's a language. And that's how linguists can look at like old dead languages and stuff like that and know that, okay, there's linguists, there's, there's language here. And so because, you know, uh, DNA is, you know, uh, you know, code, basically, they're just a few characters of code, but they, they come in patterns when they statistically look at those patterns, it is identical to every human language that exists, the statistics of it. Well, mind blowing. But it's only the non-coding DNA. It's only the DNA that doesn't express like our blue eyes or our height or our hair color or that sort of thing. <laughs> wow. And the part that they consider junk DNA is actually some kind of language. We don't know what it's for. We don't know where it came from. But to me, that's mind-blowing. And I can't, I can't, wait, I can't wait till they figure out more about that. Um, but it's fascinating. It's one of those things that we can't explain yet. But uh the you know, the statistics people have have run the numbers and it's pretty cool.
0: That is awesome. I like there's so many things. It's like, like I said, science is so far behind on a, on a they're basically behind on everything that we already know is like the healers of the world. That it's just like it's amazing. Like now that like, you even said that, I'm like, huh. It's like the junk DNA still has use.
1: Right. I mean, I think the term junk DNA is, you know, there is not
0: correct, but
1: not yeah. correct. But they non coding DNA is probably better. But, you know, they, somebody's like, oh, this DNA isn't doing anything. So we'll call it junk DNA. Well, we don't know what it's doing yet. We haven't figured that out yet. Um, that doesn't mean it isn't doing something or doesn't have a purpose or doesn't have a reason. And they can now, um, because they can create DNA in the lab, they can actually store information on DNA. They can actually, like, like on your computer hard drive, they can actually code DNA to store information um, in tiny little, you know, obviously DNA is tiny because it's, uh, you know, m- you know, one giant molecule, but uh, in tiny little packets, they can store information on there. And somebody did, I think somebody put maybe the Bible or some other really long book um, in DNA and that, you know, coded it in DNA. So it's pretty interesting that we can do stuff like that.
0: That's awesome. That reminds me like the... Um... I think it was like towards the, the end of February 2022 here that um, there was the very first time when they were able that scientists were able to catch because um, the person unfortunately died during a test that they had had but the very first time scientists were actually able to catch what the rest of us already knew when the brain dies that you have that um, I should say the people like that Have experienced a near death, like myself, that your life literally flashes before your eyes. Yeah, they were yeah. finally able to catch that. And it's like we've known it intuitively for years and years and generations upon generations, and then they now just caught it. And it's like it's
1: hard to measure it. Like there's certain things yeah. like consciousness that we don't we can't even imagine instruments to measure that sort of thing. And that's you know, so science has its purpose. Um, It can be, you know, a certain level of precision and we can Mm -hmm. measure things and we can predict things. um, And it's great. It's great for that sort of thing. Um, But there are some things that are too outside of that. They're that are really not binary as much as science likes things to be binary. Either this is this or it's that. Well, that's not always the case. Right. There's always um, some gray area in there. You know, some, that's what, you know, chaos theory is about where they're trying to figure out how, you know, track hurricanes and figure out where they're going. And if you've ever, you know, we've all watched hurricane charts and have, you know, they're like, oh, it could be here, could be over here, right? And they're getting more and more accurate all the time, but they'll never be 100% accurate because there's too much chaos, right? It's not, it's not binary the way that we, we like things to be binary in science. Well, that's
0: what... That's why I was excited when I heard about like something that like said that we already knew about that when people die the the brain and like literally like your whole life flashes before your eyes.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: And then they were trying to figure out that there actually is a science. There is actually proof now from this one person that our experiences in our life are a hundred percent recorded, but the ones that are the most memorable are the ones that come up.
1: Right. Right. There is, there was, and, you know, maybe this has been debunked or I don't know, Mm -hmm. but I remember this was back in the eighties or something that, um, you know, they had somebody on a scale or something. And when they died, their body actually got lighter by like six grams. It was a little teeny tiny.
0: People die.
1: I need to, I need to look that up and see if that's still understood to be true. And if they figured out why that is, because that seems weird because we can't um, we can't, create or destroy matter or energy. We can only convert it from one form to another. So there's something that is converted to something that is taking a certain amount of weight away from the body. I don't think the soul has weight to it. Um, I think it is spiritual and there's no mass to it. So you can't necessarily weigh somebody's soul, but I, you know, that just seemed like a really fascinating thing to me. How could that be? Right.
0: Yeah. Because I know, like, when my husband's grandma died, she went in, like, heavier, and then when she left, she, you know, like, was over a matter of, like, three days, she lost a bunch of weight, and it's, like, she was lighter. That That is that is one thing that I have noticed. It's, like, um, for whatever reason, when we die, we are a lot lighter mm-hmm. than, than when we come in. So, it's, like, there has to be, like, the soul that, like, I don't know if the soul necessarily has weight to it, like you said, but... There's got to be something that adds to it. I just know like from my near-death experience that there definitely was a light. There definitely was a lighter feeling when I was going up. And I'm like, oh my, oh, I, I just, I still love that feeling when I was going up. But then when I was coming back down to my body, I'm like, immediately, I just felt like all like the sludge and like the the feelings of being human again. And it's just like, it just felt so heavy. It didn't feel like it was like when I was leaving where I was feeling lightened. I didn't care. I was feeling good. That's all I cared about.
1: One thing we do in shamanic training that's really important to the work is we do this uh death and dying work, right? Um, because mm-hmm. part of part of what we do is um, you know, we help people who are crossing over, we help them to have an easier transition. Interesting. We help people who are grieving, those they've lost, and comfort them and, and help them understand that their their loved one is in fact in a in a in a better place. And um, so we have to have an experience of that, to be able to have the confidence in that, to say that, that, you know, to speak that with confidence, to not just something I think about abstractly or whatever. So we do some ceremonies and some things that give us an experience of uh, where we're going when we, when we die. And when we do that, because, and, and I agree with you, it's such a beautiful, amazing feeling. Imagine. For people out there who haven't been to this, imagine every ache, pain, stress, and worry you've ever had just disappearing all of a sudden, just gone.
0: That's exactly what it does. And you can see everybody else down below. And you're just like, you see them, you care for a little bit, and then you just no longer care.
1: Yeah. yeah you're like, every care, every worry you've ever had is just gone. So we ha- when we do that work, we have to sign a contract, literally sign a contract that will come back because it's so... Seductive and beautiful. I don't know anybody who's ever died, actually died trying this, but it is a really, um, is some of the most, one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had and leading people through that experience has been incredibly powerful as well because I, you know, have students that, that, uh, you know, that's part of the work. But in order to have that experience, in order to tell, you know, go to somebody who's grieving, who's lost a loved one, to say with confidence, you know, that they, they really are in a better place. And I know that because I've experienced that. I've experienced that. And so the, there's a knowing that I have, and people can sense that. People can sense that it's experiential and it means a lot.
0: Yeah, it's, um, that's one of those experiences that I wish I could recreate without having to actually die. And have a near death because I don't want a near That's, death again. I, yeah. I'm just saying that it's like one of those feelings that I miss because I got to see my daughters in heaven. I got to see them. Yeah. And I don't remember the whole experience other than I remember what they look like. And my one son looks a lot like his sister's
1: mm-hmm. that
0: I miscarried. And it's just like, I just, it's being able to, to feel that again, but without having to have the experience. I don't want to die because my kids
1: obviously need me, but I'm just saying, right. You've
0: got stuff like if that makes any sense. <laughs> oh,
1: no, absolutely. You've got stuff to do here. You've got kids to take care of. You've got stuff that you're supposed to go through, like ending your ancestral trauma. You know, when people yes, say,
0: that's the main one,
1: when people say, you know, what's my purpose? Why are we here? Well, there's lots of reasons why you're here. Right. Like one of them is let's cut the crap from, you know, from the past. Let's stop that from coming forward and let's make the world better. Right. Let's work on that. Um, but yeah, if people need purpose beyond that, I do work with people a lot on, on finding purpose, finding the, how are you going to, everybody, everybody has a light. Everybody has the same light. We're all, we're all emanating from the same source. How do you shine that? How do you let that out, right? And for some people, it's creating yes. beautiful art or beautiful music. For some people, it's healing people with hypnotherapy or shamanism. For for others, who knows, right? It's cooking the most amazing meal for people. And it doesn't matter whatever that is. Like, if you if you love it, if you know it's your purpose, if it's the way for you to shine your light, you are making the world better by shining that and not being not passing your trauma on to other people. (laughs) Yes. And you know, like, I don't, I don't know if you cook, I cook, I I love to cook. Mm -hmm. And it's one of my love languages to cook for other people. And you can taste that when somebody is cooking with love and my girlfriend cooks, cooks for me, we, we cook for each other a lot and there's a lot of love there. And you can, when somebody's cooking with love, it tastes better, right? Yeah, it does. Eat it. There's a big difference there energetically. That's why
0: I gained weight. That's <laughs> why so I told my husband, "No, like I'm serious. Like I was 208 pounds when I met him, and I'm just like the way he cooks. I'm like there was a difference.
1: Yeah, in, like how
0: he cooks. <laughs> that's and the it's, drawback? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like I put on weight because of it. And it's like I thought maybe at first it was a joke, but I'm like, no, oh, actually, that's where it it was.
1: Yeah, you can feel it. You can absolutely feel it. It tastes different. It's more nourishing. It feels different. There was a um, a Japanese scientist, I think Dr. Emoto. I may be saying his name wrong. Do you, you know about this, the the water crystals?
0: I've like, heard of it. That's what I was actually just yeah. thinking of myself. Think?
1: So they would have like a vial of water and they would put the word love on it and they would put the word hate on another one. And then they would freeze them really quickly on you know glass or something and then photograph them with a microscope. And ice crystals were shaped completely differently. The ones that had the word hate were like all malformed and weird. And the ones that had love were just these beautiful symmetrical patterns. We affect the material world around us with our feelings, with our thoughts, by shining our light into the world. So that's something that, you know, I don't think everybody quite gets. But what we put out into the world is affecting everything around us, everything and everyone around us. So when you have the mission to stop that trauma in your life, you're actually, you know, doing that for your kids. But that, that effect carries on into your environment and people can feel that, you know, when you That's what
0: I've noticed. A lot of people have told me that too. They're like, they can tell, that's the weird thing. It's like, I don't even have to tell anybody that I'm not in this for the money. They already can feel that.
1: Yeah. And you, because of the work that you've done, and the work that you continue to do and the love you have for the work. Um, I'm not saying don't do don't do I'm not saying don't do hypnotherapy, but you almost don't have to do hypnotherapy. Somebody can sit in your presence and get a healing from that because you're of the, not the first
0: person that said that.
1: Yeah, but that's but that's because <laughs> of the energy that you're exuding. Because somebody is in that healing environment that you have around you that's infused also in the physical environment that you're sitting in so people come into your space they sit down they're gonna feel oh i feel i don't even know what's going on we haven't even started yet things are happening right i bet that happens all the time yes all the
0: time but to me it never makes sense that's like um one of the things i've been struggling a lot with is like this is part that makes no sense to me it's like i want to leave like the hypnosis behind and it's not like leaving it behind but it's like it's a part of like a stepping stone but it's like I'm feeling so drawn to Reiki after I took Reiki. Yeah. Right. I'm so drawn to it to become the teacher and all that. But it's like it makes no concept to me, like how any how I can just heal people just being in the room with them. Like, but
1: but you can because you you are you are energy, right? We're all this this yeah. is matter, but this if you look if you had a powerful enough microscope, this is 99 empty space. It's all just energy floating around and our consciousness affects it. It can affect everything. And, uh, you know, if you've done Reiki, you know that one of the things they'll do and, and, you know, and people, you know, people say grace and pray over their food, but people. It tastes different too. Yeah. And people, people who do Reiki will put their hands over their food and give it a little energy before they eat it. You are trans, you are transmuting the matter of that to a degree and making it better for you, making it a healing you know, energetically healing for you. And I I do believe that the matter, matter changes. I've seen research out there where people, you know, people who are really strong energy healers could change the molecular composition of things from across the room. And my teacher's teacher is doing research where they actually take polluted water in a vial from a river that's polluted and set it down. And they do this process where they're basically all sitting around doing this thing called transfiguration And then they take the water to a lab and have it tested and it gets clean. Whoa. So nothing but energy work and this water gets clean from them sitting around doing this scientifically, not possible yet because we can't explain it. Yeah. We can't explain how that happens. So scientifically it doesn't happen, but we can test before and after it's happened. Right. So, yeah. um, yeah. So we are, we are fully capable of transforming and transmuting the matter around us. That's I think awesome.
0: Is- <laughs> that is. And I was going to say too, like when you t- talked about like the water test,
1: mm-hmm. you know like
0: when they were like, the one was love and the one was hate. I actually did something the other day. Cause I thought, well, I'll just try it. Cause I saw it on YouTube where um, I've been following this one person on, on YouTube there. And he said that like, To become like the energy like the vibration of which you want to vibrate at which in my case is to increase my wealth well i was he said well if you take the water but when like when you're drinking the water but say like money is flowing easily and effortlessly to me so Mm -hmm. i did that and i can't explain it but it's like i was literally felt like i was drinking like hundred dollar bills and it's like (laughs) that <laughs> had like a weird, like, I know what like, the smell of money smells like. So I thought like, is that my smell just playing into it or a, like, but it was weird. I was like, I literally felt like I was drinking the, the hundreds of thousands of dollars bills when I was drinking that water. And like, it was you've just like turning vibration. to gold.
1: You've changed the vibration of the water and your consciousness can, can feel that. I don't know it. Cause I know you've, done past life work but one of the things Mm -hmm. that i found with people who work with spirit a lot people who are really spiritual who um you know don't have the wealth that they want yet is that if you go back far enough um you'll find like a monk or something in your past lives who took a vow of poverty and you've been carrying that around for that's what i was wondering you've been carrying that around for a really long very really long time because um, most religious orders at some point, you know, whether they're Buddhist or, um, you know, Christian or, or Jewish or whatever, um, you know, there, there are certain places where, you know, money was seen as unclean. And so the religious, you know, the spiritual people took a vow of poverty, you know, and, and didn't, weren't, didn't own anything and didn't have any money. And, you know, even the Buddha, even the Buddha went around and begged for food. Because he didn't carry money. He didn't have money with him. So he went door to door and asked for food. So, um, you know, a lot of spiritual people have that in their past, because we have the makeup to be spiritual people. And from our past lives, we may have taken a vow of poverty that we took a little too seriously. Yeah,
0: (laughs) there was one in mine. There was one in mine, for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you can, you know, you can absolutely end that contract, say, hey, look, I'm done with that. Uh, that served its purpose in its time, whatever that was a thousand years ago, who knows, but, you know, that's not serving me anymore. And I, and for me to do my work here on earth, you know, I live in a materialist society where I need money to pay the bills and I need to yes. you know, have a computer and internet service and all of these things. Right. So you can, you can put an end to that.
0: Well, the, one of the ways I've been actually trying to put an end to it right now has been like, um, I know one of the money beliefs is that people say that money doesn't buy happiness. I'm like, the heck if it doesn't, it, <laughs> it buys it buys happiness. Believe me, it buys electricity that I need. It buys my computer stuff to, to run my business. It buys the gasoline. It buys everything. Money does yeah. buy happiness.
1: I, I think, I mean, there, there's, there's a point to that that gets taken too far, right? There are a yes. lot of really unhappy, wealthy people. There are a lot of really, you know, miserable, miserable people who are very wealthy. But if you don't have enough to survive on, it's hard to be happy. You have to have your material needs met at least, right? You, you, You know, it's that Maslow's hierarchy. You need shelter and food before you can think about anything else. And you can't really be spiritually fulfilled if your electricity is shut off in the middle of winter or you don't have food to eat. So you have to have those needs taken care of. And the way to do that in today's society is money. And, you know, yep. for better or for worse, you know, for the past 2000 years or so or longer, we've been using money to do that. So, you know, that's the world we live in. Um, you know, I don't know too many people who I, I haven't met people before who, like, have lived on an island with no running water or electricity in Maine. Don't understand how that happens um
0: in in this ta- day and age are you talking yes. like the oh yes
1: yeah a, a couple who are shamanic practitioners built a cabin on an island and lived very rustically i don't i think one of them has passed away and i don't know the the other one but uh, it may, she might still live on the still live on the island i would but never do that very cold in the winter here very cold <laughs> <in the winter. laughs> um so yeah chop chop wood and carry water is basically you know what you got to do all day, but then I think of my grandmother who was born in 1916, and you know we're basically living under the same circumstances.
0: True. <laughs> I, I'll take my comfort and convenience.
1: Yeah, I'll take a heated a heated house rather than living in the wilderness. Um, at this point, this Once has stopped. been so.
0: This, this has been extremely fascinating. Like this entire topic, I've just really like enjoyed it a ton.
1: Yeah, so, it's been a great conversation.
0: So what's the best way for people to get in contact with you if they want to be able to have that shamanic healing?
1: Yeah, so they can go to my website which is mainshaman.com it's maine the state m a i n e s h a m a n.com. Um I've got everything. I've got uh you know uh Instagram and Facebook and and a YouTube channel. I even have an app which is free. Um, so if people really want to learn about shamanism, they can download, they can find the link on my website, download an app. And it's got all of my videos, all of my blog posts, all, you know, articles I've written. It's got, uh, drum tracks. If you know how to do a shamanic journey, you can play my, my drumming tracks on your phone and stuff. So put a lot of work into that. I'm very excited about it and it's completely free. There's no, like, there's nothing being sold on it whatsoever. Um, cause I just wanted people, I just wanted to, you know, get it out there and get as much good information about shamanism as I could out there.
0: That's awesome.
1: So go to my website, check out my app. You can read my blog. I've got a podcast. I've got, it. I've got, if, if it's out there, I've probably done it at some point. (laughs)
0: That's (laughs) how I feel some days.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm I'm a big nerd. So I, you know, I like, uh, I like technology stuff and I like playing with technology stuff. So that's kind of where I'm at.
0: I'm not the technology one. <laughs> nope. I'm like, I'm just starting to understand like the intuition part of like why I'm so drawn to it. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. I can't explain it. I can't understand. I understand it, but I don't, I can't explain why. It's just like this need mm-hmm. of I need to do this.
1: Right. Right. That's your intuition.
0: Yep. <laughs> Well I've appreciated this so much and I'm sure our listeners and our viewers have as well. Thank you John for being here. Really appreciate it like I said. And this this has been an amazing conversation. I've really enjoyed it and I hope all of the people who are tuning in either through audio or through video have enjoyed it as well.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I realize we talked about 85,000 different things, but um I don't know, I really enjoyed it. I really not to Talking about 85,000 different things. <laughs> Well, have a great day, everyone, and make it a great day. All right. Thank you so much.